Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The New Orleans Pelicans take not one but two from the Phoenix Suns. Things get a little chippy on Friday night because Phoenix didn't appreciate the 360 dunk at the end by Zion. And how did they respond? Well, by New Orleans handing them another loss on Sunday. The battle of the two best teams in the Western Conference and both games advantage New Orleans. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one, a.k.a. the man who put up Christmas lights and Jack the Skeleton up for his daughter this weekend, Raymond Parch III. It was, it was getting to a point. I'm just going to let y'all know. Daddy, why don't we have Christmas lights up outside? Daddy had to step it up. Daddy had to step it up over the weekend. Had to get that yard done. (laughs) Had to pull some weeds and put up the Christmas decorations outside. I thought I was winning by just doing the inside. No, 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 no. There was none of that. Daddy, why don't we have lights on on the outside? How can Santa find our house if we don't have lights on? Can't argue with that kid logic. I'm joined this wonderful Monday morning by Miss Hannah. Five names. We got a tremendous show lined up for you today. Jeff Palermo will join us. He'll try to be as extraordinary as Hannah is. Let's stop right there before we get the the guest lineup. You're bragging about your about your sweatshirt that you got over there. Because I've given you the nickname, which originally was given to Louis Prejean, and it has been passed on from producer to producer. The producer extraordinaire, and you're rocking a, a hooded sweatshirt this morning. If you're catching us on the simulcast here in Acadiana on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber, you're in for a treat because someone's feeling good about themselves. She's got the mantra on the front of the hoodie. It says, be extraordinary. Good morning. Good morning. (laughs) Is it going to be an extraordinary morning? I hope so. (laughs) I mean, I think together we're putting up about 12 hours of sleep between the two of us, so I'm hoping we're going to rock it. You know the difference between ordinary and extraordinary? You and me. It's that little (laughs) bit extra. It's that little bit extra. (laughs) You're welcome. Oh, man. We're going to have a good show today. Jeff Palermo will be our first guest at 7.30, our friend from Tiger Rag Radio. We'll talk LSU men's basketball. We'll talk about LSU men's football team as well, having guys in the transfer portal declaring for the draft. What's the latest there? Also, 
making sure to be aggressive and offering guys in the portal as well with the latest updates on all things LSU. From Jeff, that'll be at 7.30 at 8 o'clock. Well, the STM Cougars, they won the state championship in dramatic fashion on Friday afternoon versus Lafayette Christian Academy. Let's be a surprise. We'll talk to a member of the STM Cougar championship team. That'll be coming up at 8 o'clock. That's all I can tell you. It's a bit of a tease this morning. And at 8.30 for the Big Easy Blitz, we talk to his co-host every single Wednesday here on RP3 and Company, Andrew Juge. Ralph Malbro will join us. It's hate week for the Falcons and the Saints. And we'll get to the NFC South coming up because that's actually our poll question of the day. <laughs> Who's going to win the NFC South? Because believe it or not, all four teams can still win the NFC South. Because no one, wait for it, wants to win possibly the crappiest division of all time. But we're going to start off with the Pelicans. Fly, birdie, fly. What they've been able to do out there in this last 10, 11 games is phenomenal. And, and, and here's what stands out more than anything is that the Pels have now won seven straight, 12 of their last 14 lead the West by more than a game and a half. Zion has absolutely taken over in these two games against Phoenix, and he's really, uh, we said it earlier last week, you're starting to see him ascend to that next level. He appears to be healthy. He appears to be focused. He appears to be that guy that's got that dog in him. And we've been waiting for this. The likable big kid is nowhere to be found. He's playing like a grown man, finally. Now, part of that is because he was drafted. He was so young. But the injuries, the criticism, the good coaching by Willie Green, whatever it may be, you're starting to see Zion Williamson right in front of your eyes grow up. No longer a boy or a young man. He's becoming a man and it's a sight to behold. Not only is he doing this, they need Zion to do this because their other all-star, Brandon Ingram, has missed, what, 11 games, 12 games now? He's out injured. And everyone was expecting, well, okay, this is a team that's still learning how to play together. This is a young team. They're incorporating Zion into the, the mix, into the fold, if you will. This is a team that made the playoffs last year, but they're still trying to figure out each other. It's going to take a little while. And once B.I. got banged up and Herb Jones got banged up, it was like, well, they're going to tread water a little bit here. And they've done the exact opposite. Zion has taken over. 
and to the point where they've won now seven straight games, 12 of their last 14. They're the best team in the Western Conference, and they just beat a team that went to the NBA championship two years ago and a team that's got a wealth of experience and is considered one of the favorites in the Western Conference. And the Pelicans said, not a problem, we got this. That's impressive. What this team has been able to do with B.I. out is impressive. And to see Zion become what he's become. To see him develop in front of our eyes is ridiculous. I didn't think it was going to be this close or this soon. I thought it was going to take a little while. Especially with him missing all of last year, I thought for sure that this was going to take time. But I've been proven wrong here. It hasn't taken time. And for the first time in a long time, we can actually look at this team and look at Zion Williamson and go, okay, maybe the hype is real. The expectation was for them to be a top four seed this season, right? That was the expectation with Zion coming back. The pieces they had, Trey Murphy, Herb Jones, Valachunas, Alvarado, that this team should be with Willie Green at the helm in year number two, should be a top four seed. Right now, they're the best team in the Western Conference. Williamson last night, 35 points as he helps the Pelicans top the Suns 125 to 124 in overtime. Their defense is starting to come around a little bit. Chris Paul had a night to forget. Only six points for the future Hall of Famer, three of 10 from the field. Yeah. In addition to Zion's 35, where he played a full 42 minutes, C.J. McCollum woke up offensively, dropping 29 points on the night. All five starters scored, nearly scored in double figures, but they got contributions once again, as I've talked about all season long, off the bench. 15 points from Larry Nance Jr., 16 points from Najee Marshall, There you go. Once again, no Herb Jones, no Brandon Ingram. They've done this during this stretch without two of their starters. It's unbelievable how good this team is right now. 18-8, first in the Southwest Division, and first overall in the Western Conference. Now it's early. I know there'll be plenty of naysayers. And it's right, it's early. 
We're not even through December yet. But a team that traditionally starts so poor that digs itself such a huge hole to start off every single season, it seems like. The fact that this team is well above 500 as we head towards Christmas is a great sign. Because typically, the Pelicans, doesn't matter which coach you really point to, they're always a better second-half team than they are first-half team. Well, if this team's around the top three by the end of January, they got a chance. They'll have a legit chance of making a deep playoff run. I'm not going to say championship. You got to learn. A lot of teams have to learn. Go to the playoffs a couple times, take a couple of steps, go a little bit further before breaking through with a great run. Traditionally, that's how it's done in the NBA. But 18 and 8. 9 and 1 in their last 10. They've won seven straight. They held a full one game lead over the Memphis Grizzlies for second place. Phoenix drops down to fourth. But look, when you look at the top six, there's not that much differential, right? Pelicans currently sit number one. Only a game back is Memphis. Two games back of New Orleans is Denver. Two and a half Phoenix. Two and a half Sacramento. Uh, three and a half Sacramento. Then you get down to four with Portland, Clippers, Golden State at four and a half, Utah four and a half, Dallas at five. So still extremely early. And now you're going to have to ask, how are they going to incorporate everyone's role once Herb and B.I. get back? Herb, not so much. He's more focused on defense as it is. And they do seemingly have a good thing going right now with Marshall and Nance being primarily guys coming off the bench, giving them double-digit points. They've seemed to accept that role, and they're thriving in that role. Figuring out how B.I., Valachunas, Herb Jones, and Zion all play on the floor at the same time will take a little work. Expect a couple games where they're going to drop a game and you're going to go, what's going on with this team, RP3? NBA, it's early. And you're always going to have these games. And the Western Conference is wide open. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if you see New Orleans lose a game to Sacramento or lose a game to Dallas or lose a game to Minnesota. I can see that once they start getting the guys back. But right now, your best team in the Western Conference as it stands at 6.20 this morning on December the 12th are the New Orleans Pelicans. Who thought that was going to be reality? We got to take a timeout. Plenty more to come. We'll talk a little bit about the NFL weekend some interesting scores, and the NFC South. Does anyone want to win it? Well, one team that had mass layoffs apparently does. We'll get to that next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. 
Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, man. If you're looking for some great stocking stuffers for this holiday season, then look no further than the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. As a member of our rewards club, you're going to have the opportunity to score yourself some excellent prizes, some perfect stocking stuffers for your loved ones, like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort, as well as a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen, also there at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. But you can only score those gift certificates to Mr. Lester's and Mabel's Kitchen by becoming a member of our clubhouse today. So here's the deal. Go sign up. It's free. It's simple. Simply visit 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. And once you do that, then you'll have the opportunity to score yourself those great stocking stuffers for this holiday season. Let's talk a little NFL, shall we? Interesting weekend. Last big weekend of bye weeks, including the New Orleans Saints being on bye, as well as others. But the action just like it's been for the entirety of the season, was a bit head-scratching. Bills and Jets battled it out. The Jets decided to keep putting their starting quarterback out there and letting him get his ribs crushed over and over again because, sure, why not? Bills end up winning the game. Browns and Bengals. Bengals continue their surge. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase. Man, they sure are looking like a playoff contender now after a slow start to the season. They improved to 9-4. and four. They take down the Cleveland Browns 23-10. to 10. Deshaun Watson, uh, not great. Through his first six quarters at quarterback, the Browns have had 18 drives and yet to score an offensive touchdown. That was uh, before yesterday when they finally, finally, finally scored a touchdown in the third quarter. I said a guy that's going to be out for, you know, two years. That's essentially what he's missed. He's going to be rusty. He's just not going to simply step off the bus and be ready to go. It's not how it works. Just isn't how it works. But the Dallas Cowboys, they made things interesting yesterday. They were in danger of losing to the one-win Houston Texans. And it appeared that that's exactly what was going to happen. But the Cowboys salvage it, find a way to win 27-23, And this is why you don't look at Dallas and you go, that's a team that can win a Super Bowl. Because in spite of the record where they're a 10-win team and they have name recognition and numerous spots on this roster, 
and they probably have the best defensive player in the in the league now in Parsons. You're struggling to beat the Houston Texans? 27 to 23 and that game was at home. Oh, Dallas. Oh, Dallas. Eagles continue to be the best team in the NFC and in the NFL as they trounce the Giants 48 to 22. But how about the Detroit Lions? Shout out to Motown. They're actually in contention for the playoffs. Believe it or not, the Detroit Lions, yes, those Detroit Lions, after yesterday's 34-23 win over a 10-win Minnesota Vikings team, the Lions improved to 6-7 and seven overall. Here's the deal. It's their fifth win in six games for Detroit. The Lions are now 6-7, and seven, just one game back in the win column in the NFC playoff picture, and they have to still play the Jets, Panthers, the Bears, and the Packers. Only one of those teams has a winning record. Detroit could mess around in Dan Campbell's second year at the helm and make the playoffs. Think about that. The Detroit Lions could be in the playoffs. Unbelievable. Some teams that, like Minnesota, inexplicably lost yesterday. The Titans continue to kind of be in a free-for-all right here. They drop yet another game. They race out to a 14-7 lead on Jacksonville, and Trevor Lawrence carves them up. 36-22 win there. Tennessee looks like they're fading. Ravens win a really ugly game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Seemingly, you say that about every time they play each other. The Broncos, Russell Wilson suffers a concussion, has to leave the game. They make a game of it for a little while in the second half, but... The Chiefs win 34-28, and the Broncos, with the loss, have been eliminated from the playoffs for the seventh straight season after paying $200 million for a quarterback that they believed was the missing piece for a Super Bowl run. Let's ride! Let's ride! But I got to talk about the two NFC South games. Tampa Bay goes into San Francisco and the 49ers without Jimmy G, by the way, with starting Mr. Irrelevant at quarterback, Brock Purdy. Well, he only scores three touchdowns in his first career start as the 49ers with their third string quarterback Mollywop Tampa Bay 35 to 7. 35 to 7. The Bucks look lifeless. They look like a team that's ready for their season to be over. And they've looked that way for a while. Of course, that result angers Saints fans even more so because they let one get away from them on Monday. 
And then the other part of this is really what's going to bother them. So Tampa Bay drops to six and seven. They can't get out of their own way. They look absolutely lost in a train wreck. Meanwhile, the Carolina Panthers, the old kitty cats from Charlotte, go on the road and beat the Seattle Seahawks 30 to 24. Why is this significant? Well, this is interesting. Seattle, by the way, 0-4 against the NFC South. 7-1 against everybody else. (laughs) It's a weird stat for you. Here's the crazy thing. On a day where you had interesting scores throughout the NFL, the one that's is the most surprising and the one that's the most interesting to yours truly is the fact that the Bucks lost and the Panthers won. And the reason why, the NFC South standings as it stands right now, Tampa Bay 6-7, and 3-1 in the division. Carolina, 5-8, 3-1 in the division. Atlanta, 5-8, 1-3 in the division. Saints, 4-9, 1-3 in the division. A win on Monday could have had you right there in the mix, obviously, for the playoffs. But here's the crazy thing. The Panthers, at 5-8, have a chance to still win the division they actually have a chance this is a team that fired their head coach their defensive coordinator their special teams coach their cornerbacks coach their defensive line coach and they traded their best player Christian McCaffrey they traded their starting wide receiver Robbie Anderson and they cut Baker Mayfield and this team has a chance under their interim head coach, to make it to the playoffs. Are you kidding me? Tampa looks like a team that may lose out. And Tampa may lose out and pave the way for the Carolina Panthers who fired the majority of their staff, their head coach, traded away two players and cut their starting quarterback. (laughs) Could win the division. That's how awful, how awful the NFC South is. That a team that did all of that, that's gone three in one in its last four has a chance to win the division. And you look at the Panthers' schedule versus Pittsburgh. Steelers aren't very good. Detroit, Detroit's fighting for a playoff spot. That could be probably a loss. But how much is Tampa Bay going to have left? They close out at Tampa at New Orleans. There's a realistic shot for the Panthers to win the division. 
What? Are you kidding me with that? And that leads us to our poll question of the day. Now that none of the teams actually want to win the NFC South, the team with a great chance to win it is the team whose ownership decided to fire its coach and trade its best assets. That's where we are with the NFC South. Who will win the NFC South? Will it be the Panthers, the Falcons, the Buccaneers, or the Saints? Go vote on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we will update it throughout today's show. We got to take a timeout. When we return, though, here on RP3 and Company, we're going to talk about the weekend that was all things college football. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Whether you're working or helping your wife shop for curtains, serenity now! You'll be brought up to speed on the highlights you may have missed. Thank you, you've been heavy. Here is the weekend that was on RP3 and Company. Let's talk a little college football because there was still plenty of action to discuss over the weekend. Heisman Trophy occurred. They had their ceremony. Caleb Williams, as expected, won the award. It was the closest vote it had been in about four or five years. And it, it makes sense why the voters would have went with Caleb Williams. I thought maybe Max Duggan would have had a good shot at it. Not because we made him up to be related to Hexo Jim Duggan last week. But he had a great Heisman moment there in the Big 12 championship game, rallying TCU to overtime. Now they eventually lost, but Caleb Williams lost in the, in the Pac-12 championship game. But the Heisman goes to Caleb Williams, and here's the thing about that. USC has themselves yet another Heisman Trophy winner. They've had a slew of them over the years. OJ, Marcus Allen, Reggie Bush, Matt Leinart, Carson Palmer. This is their third quarterback to have won it, joining Palmer and Leinart. But as well as it is for, say, USC as Williams joins Leinart and Palmer as the third USC quarterback to win the Heisman Trophy. Lincoln Riley, the head coach for the USC Trojans, previously head coach and offensive mastermind for the Oklahoma Sooners, is the first head coach with three Heisman Trophy quarterbacks, and he did it in six seasons. Baker Mayfield won it in 2017. Kyler Murray then won it in 2018. He had Jalen Hurts as a Heisman finalist in 2019. Think about that. Last year didn't have one. This year has a guy that won it. Phenomenal offensive-minded coach. He's got the Midas touch when it comes to quarterback development. The man just needs to hire someone to coach and develop defenses because he couldn't do that at Oklahoma and still can't do that at USC. So if he wants to win a playoff game, which he has yet to do, got to figure out how to do the defense because, yeah. Also of note, and this is interesting as well, four of the last six Heisman Trophy winners have been transfers. Even before... We all knew the NCAA transfer portal 
became part of our lexicon, the Heisman was going to guys who did not start their career at the same college, did not end their career at the same college they began it. It's pretty interesting. Want to win a Heisman? Start your career somewhere else, transfer to wherever Lincoln Riley's at, and you have a great chance. Because Jalen Hurts began his career at Alabama, then transferred for his last season to Oklahoma and was a Heisman finalist. So, yeah, Baker Mayfield started off at Texas Tech. Ridiculous. Final results, Caleb Williams wins it. Max Duggan was number two. C.J. Stroud was number three. Stetson Bennett, four. Hendon Hendon Hooker, five. Bryce Young, six. So forth and so forth. A great moment from the Heisman ceremony was Caleb Williams during his acceptance. Said, yeah, I got this, but all three of you guys are in the college football playoff. Which was a nice kind of moment for him. You know, he's done some things that have been, you know, did some things on social media, you know, painted his fingernails in a disparaging way against Utah before the Pac-12 championship game. Having some humility there, and you know, having a little envy and saying, yeah, but you guys are in the playoff. It's a nice moment. It was a nice moment. Saturday was not only for the Heisman Memorial Trophy presentation, it was also one of the best games out there. The Army-Navy game. Traditional, and this, I've been asked a lot over the years, RP3, bucket list. What's your bucket list? And I say, when I say it comes to college football, it says easy. Number three, Michigan, Ohio State, always wanted to go. Number two, Rose Bowl, always wanted to go, never been. And number one on my list, Army-Navy game. My brother served in the Army, did three tours overseas, Iraq and Afghanistan. My father-in-law, United States Army veteran. My brother-in-law, United States Army veteran. We're go Army, beat Navy type of household. And Saturday didn't disappoint. Someone got a little... Uh, sideways with the emojis because she was go Navy beat Army because of her family ties to the United States Navy. This series had never gone to overtime. They didn't start going to overtime until 1996, but Army Navy's never gone to overtime. And they said, guess what? You're in for a treat. We're going to double overtime it's 10-10, heading to overtime. Army scores on the first play of overtime. Boom, touchdown. And you're like, oh, here we go. The Navy comes back, and they score on their first play. Boom, touchdown. And I'm like, oh, here we go. Here we go. But then Navy gets stopped, and then Navy gets commits a turnover. And you hate it for the young man who coughed up the fumble. But then Army kicks the field goal to win in double overtime. 20-17. to 17, Army beats Navy. All is right in the world. 
I respect. I got friends. I even have some distant family members that served in the United States Navy. Nothing but love, support. I salute you. But when it comes to the Army-Navy game, RP3 is always going to go, go Army, beat Navy. Sorry, but not sorry. But what I love about this game, what I love what it represents, in an era of NCAA transfer portal, in an era where guys can play for four colleges, where guys are only focused on how big of a payday it is, that they leave their teams early, that they they don't play in bowl games or playoff games because they want to be focused on the NFL draft process. These are men that are playing their final college game. They're not going to play another football game because they're serving our country. And that's what makes the Army-Navy game so special. And that's why it's number one on my list, a bucket list of games to attend in person. Old school football, and it's all about the game. It's all about what the game should mean instead of what it's become. Love that. Got an update over the weekend for LSU. One of their best and brightest, the man who was given the number 18 jersey this year, B.J. Ojolari, has declared for the NFL draft. He's been a guy that's been around for four years. Not going to take advantage of the extra year due to COVID. He's good enough to go play on Sundays. He's given LSU. Remember, BJ could have left a few times, right? He had a few opportunities to leave. Didn't. Stuck with it. Stuck by the purple and gold. Guy was a great tiger on and off the field for LSU. Disappointing that he's not going to be Sticking around, you would love to see that, but he's going to be preparing for the NFL draft. So best of luck to B.J. Algerari in that regard. Once again, and he was a leader on and off the field during a time where this program needed someone to step up. And B.J. was able to do that. But on a bit of sadder news, and something that we're going to be keeping an eye on that occurred yesterday. Mississippi State head football coach Mike Leach has been hospitalized. No news, new news concerning one of college football's great characters. He apparently was attending a Christmas party and was in high spirits on Saturday. Sunday, he has been now hospitalized, rushed to a hospital in Jackson, Mississippi. No word yet on the status of Leach. He has suffered, by all reports, some sort of personal health issue at his home earlier in the day on Sunday. The university even put out in a press release yesterday. He was transported by ambulance to the University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson after having the issue at home. The university said it would no further comment at this time other than Thoughts and prayers of the university are with Mike and Sharon and their family. Leach just wrapped up his third season at the helm of the Bulldogs. So, once again, vague on exactly what the medical issue is. What we do know, it is an emergency and that the university is asking for thoughts and prayers for their head football coach who is currently 
hospitalized in Jackson, Mississippi. So we'll keep you updated with any new information that may come out this morning here on RP3 and Company. That's going to do it for the weekend that was college football edition. When we come back, we'll update that poll question of the day and wrap up our number one. You're listening to The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Shout out to my man, Blaine Viator. Give me the give me the, the proper info. I said, BJ, been there for four years. He said, no, he's actually only been there three years. He's a true three-year guy, but he graduated in three years. Yeah. Shout out to getting that degree, my man. Shout out to Blaine for giving me that info. Poll question of the day. We asked you, who will win the NFC South? It's a dumpster fire. Does anyone want to win it? It sure does look like the Carolina Panthers would like to win it after firing everyone on staff, essentially, and trading away their best player and cutting their starting quarterback. If they win their final four games, they win the division, by the way. That's how that scenario plays out. Right now, 54% of you say you believe Tampa Bay will find a way to win the division. 25% of you are delusional thinking the Saints are going to win it. 16% say the Panthers, and only 5% say the Dirty Birds. John Paul Cajun Daddy says, if they work together, they can be the first conference where all four teams could finish eight and nine. (laughs) Teamwork makes the dream work. JPK, the OD, shares the Dallas Cowboys cycle of, yes, sucking. John Paul also says, it would be so sad if the Saints beat the Patners the last game and that, that helps Tampa secure the NFC South. That could be a scenario, by the way. JPK, the OD, says, who cares? We can't even root for a draft pick. I'm in Pell's mode, and I'm speaking of draft picks. I can't wait until we get to trade our number 30 for the Lakers' number one at the end of the year. Ton on Twitter says, I still think Bucks. The truth is no one deserves the playoff spot from winning the division. It's truly pathetic. Salty Steve says, eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Who's the best one of these foe? The best of the worst is why they play. No one can pick the winner today. My man rhymed. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. That's going to do it for hour number one, hour number two. Huh, coming up right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything. Everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The Pelicans fly and fly and fly to another win. Seven straight for the Pelicans as they take down the Phoenix Suns for the second time in three days. They sit atop the Western Conference standings. And Zion Williamson has just been playing like an absolute monster. And this is a team that's won 10 of 12 and has done so without Brandon Ingram and Herb Jones, two of their starters. The team chemistry is further along than I anticipated being at this time. And 
we've seen Zion, he is growing into a man. Like the kid with the big smile that was just happy-go-lucky that we saw the first couple of years in New Orleans, that's not who we're seeing right now. Sometimes it takes these guys a little bit longer than we'd like. But Zion Williamson, this guy is dominating games, scoring 35 points. And the Pels are more than Zion. They have depth. They have two guys now. Really, Nance and Marshall have established themselves as the go-to guys coming off the bench to get the dirty work done and score double-digit points. And C.J. McCollum is starting to get out of his shooting woes. And they'll have to figure it out, getting Herb and B.I. back and figuring out how to play Zion with Valachunas and those two guys all on the floor at the same time. That'll fall on C.J. McCollum and head coach Willie Green to figure that out. But this team traditionally always starts off just awful. They always bury themselves early in the season and are always having to fight and climb out of a hole they've dug. They haven't done that this year. They're currently right now, as it stands, the best team in the Western Conference. It's unbelievable how good they are and how good they're playing. Still a long season. We're not even to the All-Star break. So I know if you still want to have a little trepidation, totally understand that. Man, but this team is good, and Zion is ascending. No longer the boy anymore. He is playing like a man. And that's exactly what this team needs, is somebody to step up and do that. Weird weekend of NFL action, just like it's been weird all season long. Can't really get a handle on things. Really good teams struggling with really bad teams. Some of them losing. We live in a world now where the Dallas Cowboys have to rally to beat a one-win Houston Texans team, where a 10-win Minnesota team falls to the Detroit Lions. By the way, the Lions are only a game out of the NFC playoff picture. Dan Campbell's done a great job in year number two. They've done a good job with their draft picks. They've really started to turn things around. But on an NFL Sunday that had plenty of intrigue, the NFC South is what stands out to me. Panthers find a way to win despite having fired everyone on staff, essentially, and trading away their best players and cutting their starting quarterback. If they win their final four games, they win the NFC South. Tampa Bay looks like they are on the struggle bus to nowhere is the Tampa Bay defense, which is always something you could depend on. If you're a Bucks fan, got absolutely abused by the third-string quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers. The NFC South is still up for grabs with four games left. What? Yes. Still up for grabs. That's got to irritate Saints fans to no end. Poll question of the day, who will win the NFC South? Right now, 50% of you say Buccaneers, 23% say Saints, 20% say Panthers, 7% say the Dirty Birds, the Atlanta Falcons. Ralph says, not sure who, but these should be the cheer squads for all the teams. Looks like Carolina is playing with the most passion after firing rule of all the years to keep it clean for the kids, not to be good. And he shared a gif of trash cans dancing. (laughs) <laughs> Who that forever says 
Who cares? Sheridan Giff, a family guy. I mean, if you're a at forever, what if the Saints win? But who that forever has already checked out. Said, I'm done. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on, Reynolds, to the show. Reynolds, good morning to you. I hope you had a great weekend. What's on your mind, bud? Good morning, good morning. I think your uh, poll question of the day should be, does anyone care who wins the NFC South? <laughs> That's your poll question. Oh. Because at this point, I mean, it's just it's a dumpster fire. It reminds me, you know, we've seen this before, right? We saw it famously with Seattle and uh, the Beast Mode game where they beat New yeah. Orleans. We've seen it before. I want to say it was what the Giants or it was Washington that won it. Like they were seven and nine. So, yeah, uh, a few years ago. So we've seen this before, but uh, of all the teams, you know, uh, look, the, the Saints are a mess. Carolina obviously has fired everyone. Atlanta's in a rebuild. The team you would think would at least be able to get their act together enough to win the division is Tampa Bay, but they play like a team that doesn't want to be in the playoffs. That's the one that's the most surprising to me. Well, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I I didn't watch anything yesterday at all. Uh, But let's look on the bright side. Uh, At least we have the New Orleans Pelicans picking up the Saints slack. At least we have something to root for. There you go. There you go. See, the the Saints had to sacrifice themselves for the Pels. (laughs) Yeah. So I have a question for you. Go ahead, bud. So – with, with this NIL and the transfer portal, which I hate, I loathe, do you think that the NCAA, once from when they decided to do this and created this to now, do you think they're secretly saying, what the hell did we do? What the hell did we start? You think they're secretly saying that? No, because he, he, here's why. They're so incompetent. They didn't get a handle on things like they should have years ago. And uh, Mark Emmert and company, with the headquarters being there in Indianapolis, the NCAA, uh, they have no backbone. So I, I don't expect them to, to feel guilt about something. I, I, think this, uh, I think it was desperation for them to clear a path for NIL and for the transfer portal because they're that desperate for it. I- yeah, you understand what I'm saying. So, like, I just, I just don't see them second guessing it because when, when you're a desperate person and you make a desperate decision, you, you typically are in a mind space where, or head space where you don't doubt your decisions because you're just so desperate. Well, you, you would think people who are getting paid a lot of money to be thinkers and 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 do stuff yeah. for the NCAA. That's true. Think, in quotation marks, okay, thinkers that they would have thought this stuff through and would have seen these issues down the road. Because we're only, what, two years fr- from from starting it? And it's a cluster. Oh, no, abso- mean, absolutely. Absolutely. And here's the thing. And here's the thing, Ron. They have no idea how to, how to, how to handle this. Like, they have no idea. They, have, they, they lack comprehension on how to control this, on how to do this. There's no model for them to follow. There's no real guidelines. It, it's all murky. It's all they, – they've botched it from jump, and now the cat's out of the bag. And some people are like, well, you know, they'll get a handle on this. When has the NCAA ever got a handle on anything that you can remember? Oh, it, 
it, it's ridiculous. I, I, I just don't see how they could recover from this. I mean, this is just the beginning. Can you see 10 years from now how crazy it's going to be? Uh, you know, you have some people who get million-dollar deals. What happens when you start getting upwards of $5 million deals, $10 million deals? You know, it's going to be basically it's free agency for college. Yeah, look, man, you're, you're exactly correct. I appreciate the phone call. Thank you for it, bud. I hope you enjoy your day. You have a blessed day. Bye. Hey, look, and that's it's it's only going to get worse. This notion that oh, it's just going to be bad for a couple of years, and then the NCAA is going to figure it out, and they're going to get the uh, handle on things. No, they're not. When has the NCAA ever shown you that they are competent in what they do? They don't. They they haven't for decades. This is a desperation move to do the NIL and, and to the NCAA transfer portal to, to keep the big boy conferences at least, uh, you know, appease them for a long enough time to keep them in the fold so they can get money. Because if they really wanted to, and I wouldn't be surprised if we eventually see that down the road, that a couple of these major conferences say, you know what, we're just splitting off from the NCAA altogether because we don't need you. You need us more than you. we need you. And we can get our own television contracts. Thanks. Why do we need you for? Let's head back out to the hotline. Welcome on a man who's a proud Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan. I'm sure he's thrilled about his team still being in first place despite being mollywopped by the 49ers by a third-string quarterback, Mr. Irrelevant. Mr. Green joins us here. Jamie, good morning, bud. How was your weekend? Good morning, Mr. Third. You had to throw in that, uh, that, that game yesterday, huh? <laughs> explain to me why your team with all the talent that it has with all the stars that it has plays like a team that desperately does not want to be in the postseason uh because they're a team that desperately doesn't want to be in the postseason but they don't want to say they don't want to be in the postseason there it is there it is i mean it is holy garbage just i i ah. That's all I can say. Uh-huh. They just they, they look absolutely disinterested, and they've they, they, they've yeah. looked that way for two months. And and it's really and truly the whole the whole division. I mean, yeah, the the Panthers are starting to play up a little bit and and everything else. But I mean, you and, and the thing about it is, every year one of the divisions is like this, right? Usually it's the NFC East. No offense to your whatever they call themselves now. Um, commanders, bud. They're the commanders. commanders. Thank you. I, honestly, I couldn't remember. Like, it's it's been that kind of a morning already, and they're actually doing really well. That whole division is. It's like it just kind of shifted, but I mean, every year there's a different there's a different division that's just absolute and complete pathetic garbage. This year is the NFC South, <laughs> and so uh, yes, it is. I think I think Carolina's gonna to surprise people and come back and win out and. I think they're going to take the the division, much to the chagrin of uh, Matt Rule and Baker Mayfield and all them. Um, and I mean, I hate to admit that because I really wish it was the Bucks, but you know, you can't win it all the time. There's there's always next season, right? There's always next season, but you're going to back in. See what's going to happen is that the Saints are going to beat the Panthers in the final game and gift you the division. So go ahead and get your thank you cards ready, bud. I'll get my thank you cards ready for uh, the Saints fans, and uh, 
we'll go from there. And uh, at least the Pels are doing well, right? Hey, bud, I just like to point out the Pels are doing well. I just I would like to point out that the Commanders right now, if the playoffs started today, would be in. Yeah, like to point that out. Will. Just like to point that out. That my Washington Commanders, as soon as they made the decision to get rid of forcing Daniel Snyder to sell the team, all of a sudden our fortunes have changed. <laughs> amazing how that works, isn't it? It's amazing and how that do you, works. Do you think the uh, NFL will ever go away from divisions and just start doing no. based on on record? No. I mean, no. I guess there's kind of a, 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 I don't know. I mean, I don't think it would ever happen. But, geez. The, the, uh, the division's just so bad, man. The division's just so bad. They, they, they are. They are. Jamie, <laughs> appreciate you, uh, appreciate your time today, bud. Enjoy the rest of your day, bud. All right, guys. Y'all have a great day. And keep those phone calls coming. Game hotline is open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. While we have a few minutes here, I need to address something. Uh, Hannah, we know that you and Jamie over the year this past year sometimes don't see eye to eye the proud northwestern state grad you both have a disdain for louisiana tech which is something you bond over Mm -hmm. but at the end of that phone call you were doing a little twist action almost like you were dancing was that because jamie's tampa bay bucks are struggling so much or was that just simply you trying to keep warm let's go ahead and warm (laughs) uh neither of those answers um i were you stretching you know, my, my phone went off and it had Christmas music playing, so then I had the song in my head. So, yeah. Outstanding. <laughs> it doesn't randomly. It likes to, like, think that I touched play, and so it plays music, and it has a mind of its own. Oh, sure. Blame it on the phone. It has a mind yeah. of its own. I'm naming her you, Berta. You, you, you weren't trying to just listen to, to Christmas music to, to be in the Christmas spirit at all. No. Right? Because, see, I already have my lights up in my house. That was done like, I don't know, a week ago. Are are you bragging? Is that bragging? Hey, <laughs> hey, where'd you get your ornaments for your tree that you put up? <laughs> the lovely household of the Parch household. Yeah, that's what I thought. Calm it down. Bring it down. <laughs> Bring it down. Hey, my poor car has dents on it now. I'm getting getting on top of it. Please have a ladder. <laughs> He's got on top of my car. Just ask to borrow a ladder. Up. I have a ladder. Just ask to borrow one. <laughs> he was one. supposed to borrow the ladder from work, and then he forgot oh about that part. Goodness. So that I still took the car to work. Oh, it's my fine. goodness. So I have told you that a while back, my daughter wanted to spend her money buying a pair of Cobra pink walkie-talkies. Yes. yes. Well, when I was out and about working in the yard on Saturday, it was an all-day affair of mm-hmm. walkie-talkie daughter had walkie-talkie i had walkie-talkie and i'm saying yes baby girl i will let you know and it actually goes all the way from my house and goes all the way to the bank on the main drag in sunset we could still talk to each other so it had that much of a distance which was pretty cool right mm-hmm. but it was constant the walkie-talkie conversations <laughs> while i was trying to hang up lights daddy over and out are you there are you there it was constant well, apparently, we had so much fun with that that the elves on the shelves were inspired to take the walkie-talkies and mm. use them themselves on Sunday morning. So the walkie-talkies couldn't be used by the Hattie. Well, that's right, because you can't touch them, because you can't touch the elves, because the elves lose their magical power. 
Very smart idea by you. <clears throat> I don't know what you're talking about. We just inspired the elves to want to play with the pink walkie-talkies. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> we got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. Raging Cajuns men's basketball. Man, they're they're playing at a high level. We'll touch on that. Hear from Bob Marlin and his team. They got a big win on Saturday. LSU men's basketball team got a win as well. And McNeese, they split their Iowa trip. Got a much-needed win as well over the weekend. We'll talk all about that coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and Company on On the the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Well, it's a good final exam for our group. Uh, coming off exams, we, that's the way we approached it. We told them we got a test. We prepared well. Uh, we're, we're ready now. We just got, have to go take care of business. And, and we know what to do. We got to do it. And I thought that was very important versus their pressure. They're a very good pressing team. We altered the way we, we attack a little bit. And I thought that uh, that was never an issue for us. We did have too many turnovers, especially in the first half, but they weren't against the the, the press. So really happy for our, our guys tonight. Thought Greg Williams did a great job in the first half and hit some big buckets for us. And, and uh, the game was going back and forth there for a while. And then second half, Kentrell and Jalen hit a couple of big ones for us. And then T. Lou made his free throws and, and gobbled up a, another double-double with 10 rebounds. That's Louisiana Raging Cajuns men's basketball coach Bob Marlin following his team's 75-58 win over Samford on Saturday. It was Biddy Basketball Night, kids' night there inside the Cajun Dome. They improved to 8-1 on the season, the lone loss on the road at Drake in Iowa. And this week they got Louisiana Christian, formerly known as Louisiana College. That'll be tonight. That's their Cajun Christmas game, 7 o'clock tip. And then they take a trip over to Lake Chuck on Thursday. That's going to be a game that we're going to cover a lot. That's UL versus McNeese there at the Legacy Center. That'll be Thursday night. And then, after playing a couple in-state opponents this week, then the Cajuns are going to have a good non-conference game in Austin, Texas against UT. That's right, the University of Texas, before they begin Sunbelt play on the road at Coastal Carolina on December 29th. This team is so balanced. It just is. They have depth. They have seemingly gotten better, even though they lost a couple of their post guys and Theo and Duguay. Duguay graduating, Theo transferring to go play for Ole Miss. But what they have this year that maybe they haven't had in years past is that they have the combination of quality three-point shooting as well as an inside game, and both of them were clicking on Saturday against Sanford. What's good, we got to have it. And as we talked about, Greg had a couple, Contrell, Jalen, they were all timely, it seems like, too, when we, we needed uh, to, to make three-point shots. At halftime, 
we were both, we were what, six for 12, they were six for 10. You know, that, we, we told our guys, you can't leave them and, and help on certain guys. And Campbell got us in the first half. They had a couple of, of buckets, but the second half, they're two for 10. And they still shoot 40% for the game, which is good for three point percentage. But uh, yeah, the three's big and we took them out. They shoot what, 34%? 34 and a half from the field in the second half. That was the difference in the game, and, and we shot 50. They're working both the inside and the outside, and it's huge for them. And, you know, look, this is a team that doesn't even have Kobe Julian back yet. He won't join them until probably after conference play begins. An immensely talented young man who's battled through injuries every single season. He's been with the Raging Cajuns. But they have the depth, they have the rotation. And here they are, 8-1. And, and and Marlon spoke on what stands out the most about this team at this point right now compared to the past few years. More connected. Um, they're, they're really close. Even the 27-win team and, and 18, there were a couple of guys that weren't totally bought in at times. It's just different. Uh, it's more like a family this time. And I think we're versatile. Uh, I think Jordan's going to come out and, and have a great conference season. And I just like our team. If we continue to defend and clean up some things, I think we've got a, a great opportunity in front of us. Speaking of great opportunity, Matt McMahon and what he's doing in year number one over in Baton Rouge, taking over a program, let's be honest, that was weighed down with corruption and scandal under former head coach Will Wade. Schedule hasn't been necessarily filled with a bunch of world beaters. And they haven't looked great at times. But they got a good win on Saturday in the Holiday Hoops Giving event that they played at State Farm Arena in Georgia when they beat, gutted out a win against Wake Forest, 72-70. to LSU is 8-1, by the way. 8-1. And, and this is a transitional year with a new coach. This is a coach taking over a roster where he had to bring in a bunch of his guys from his former stop just to be able to fill up a roster. They're hitting the recruiting trail. But look, they're not playing a bunch of world beaters, Walford, UT Arlington, Akron, Illinois State. That's nothing to write home about. And they lost to Kansas State by two. That's their one loss this year in the Cayman Islands Classic. But beating Wake Forest, that's a good win. And this week, they got North Carolina Central. Eh, that'll be on Tuesday. Winthrop will be on Saturday. That's not a bad little mid-major program. East Tennessee State. I mean, they'll begin SEC play on December 28th against Arkansas in the PMAC. This LSU team could very well be 11-1 and entering SEC play. Now, is this team talented enough? to be able to make a real difference in the SEC against the likes of Kentucky and Florida and Arkansas and Alabama. Alabama, who, by the way, took down number one ranked Houston over the weekend? Probably not. Probably not. And it's probably going to be a struggle to get to around 20 wins. But it's a good start for a new coach taking over a program that is, let's be honest, needs a fresh start, it's getting a rebuild, is getting someone there to clean things up. 
after Will Wade left it in, let's be honest, a bit of disarray. So a good win over the weekend over Wake Forest. The Meanies Cowboys, we talked to Coach John Aiken last week about trying to balance things out, right? They're in the Southland Conference. They're from a lower kind of division. So they have to take a bunch of games against top-flight opponent where they're going to get a paycheck, like Baylor, like Tennessee. Both of those teams ranked in the top 25. And two and six heading out on this road trip this weekend for two games in Iowa. And they get a hard-fought win against a perennial NCAA tournament team in Northern Iowa on Friday. Played extremely well, 52-49. Got the win. And then hung tough for a half at number 20-ranked Iowa State yesterday. But they started off the second half so poorly. Cyclones went on a massive run built up a lead and never looked back. But some signs of promise, some signs of progress for John Aiken's Cowboys squad as they split the Iowa road trip, beating Northern Iowa and then losing to Iowa State. Once again, they won't tip off until Thursday when they host the Louisiana Raging Cajuns at the Legacy Center there in Lake Charles. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, first guest of the day, Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio, will join us. Talk more about the job Matt McMahon is doing with the men's basketball team and also all the guys announcing for the draft and into the NCAA transfer portal for the football team. That'll be next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. There are two types of sports reporters. Those who are respected for their ability at building relationships with coaches and players. And here's our game plan. Then there are those whose method of reporting is getting hammered with a college football team at Pat O's. We're going streaking! We'll let you guess which one RP3 is. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. LSU men's basketball team got themselves a hard-fought quality win on Saturday. They improved to 8-1 on the season under their new head coach. Football team, well, they're attacking the transfer portal as they have guys declaring for the NFL draft with B.J. Ojolari as expected, joining the likes of Jay Ward as guys that are going to be preparing for the NFL draft. To break it all down for us, all things LSU is a man who co-hosts Tiger Rag Radio, which you can hear every Tuesday night right here on the game. Our good friend Jeff Palermo joins us now. Jeff, good morning to you, brother. How was your weekend? Oh, it was good, Raymond. Uh, spent a lot of it in the uh, Caesar Superdome. Always fun with the prep classic, but uh, yeah, and also a little sad to see the football season go. But uh, tell you some great games uh, this past weekend in New Orleans. Man, that it was, brother. That it was. Let's talk about the job the first-year coach is doing with the LSU Tigers. I know the schedule 
isn't exactly filled with world beaters. Their one loss was against uh, Kansas State out of the Big 12, but they do get a hard-fought win against Wake Forest, who's usually pretty good. What do you make of Saturday's win, and what do you make of the job he's done so far in year one? Well, I would say, uh, you know, so far, so good. Uh, yeah, 8-1. and one. You can only get uh, a little bit better than that. Uh, obviously, going nine and zero uh, this time. They score uh, a bucket uh, late in the ball game. This time it counts. It didn't count against Kansas State. Um, you're seeing some guys that um, you know have shown that uh, they can they can score. In particular, KJ Williams, uh, a couple of thirty point games, uh, seven three pointers in that win against Wake Forest. Um, was good. Obviously, they getting Justice Williams back on Saturday, that was big. He had missed the five uh, previous games with an ankle injury, and then he scores the winning basket. And, you know, there's just been some, you know, kind of role, role players here that have stepped up this past Saturday. It was Cam Hayes. He came off the bench, 13 points, six assists. So, um, I, that, that's a pretty good win. You know, anytime you're down by 20 points and you come back to win, I, I don't care who you're playing. And here, in this case, they were – playing another power five school. So uh, that to me is a, a pretty impressive victory to do that. Um, so, uh, you know, kind of just waiting to see though, you know, how good this team, once they get into sec play, I mean, that's, that's really the, um, that's what we're kind of waiting for. And, you know, the, when you look at their schedule, it's just, it starts off tough for them. So uh, they'll, we'll, we'll get a really good idea. Once you get into league play, just how good this this group is but we have to applaud the job he's done because I didn't expect them to even be eight and one to be honest with you because the roster you know turnover and the fact that he was having to kind of piece together a roster just to put together a team this year in year one after taking over the mess that Will Wade left I still think that's impressive I agree with you I don't think they're going to match up very well against some of the best teams in the SEC like Kentucky and Alabama and others but the, they have a great poss a great chance to be eleven and one heading into conference play, and I think, I don't know, I think that's a great accomplishment for him in his first year. Yeah, I think so. I mean, when you look at the schedule going into it, though, you, I mean, you weren't expecting them to be, you know, seven and five or something like that, eight and four. Um, you know, the, the, the teams that they had, um, you know, mostly mid major teams, uh, even obviously smaller than that in, in some cases. You know, especially when you're facing the likes of, uh, you know, East Tennessee State and Winthrop coming up here. Um, you knew they were going to have a, a, a decent record, but um, to, to at least uh, to only have one loss at this point, is, uh, yeah, I, I'll give it, I'll give them, uh, that, that's good. I, I, again, I, it's, it's just so hard to, just hard to judge. Um, you know, they've won some close games here, though. Uh, I mean, the last, <laughs> so that might, that might tell you a little bit uh, about Matt McMahon's um, coaching ability, late game strategy, and so forth. I mean, when you look at the last three games, they've been decided. Well, even going prior before that, the, the last five games have been decided by four points or less. They they lost one of those. That was the the Kansas State game. Uh, but uh, the last three here, uh, they've won, and the margin of victory has only been by four points. So uh, they're figuring out how to win close games. And that might be what it's going to obviously take in the SEC. I don't know if this is a group that's just going to go out and, you know, blow the doors off of people. So they're going to have to um, play 
very well, take it one possession at a time, as they say, and, and try to eke out some victories that way. And you mentioned the mid-majors, and you're exactly correct, but I would argue that they have a mid-major roster themselves. <laughs> so, yeah. so they're, You're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, they, yeah, I, I know they play in the SEC, but that, that roster is a – that, that roster is a mid-major roster if there ever was one. We're talking with Jeff Palermo. He's co-host of Tiger Rag Radio. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Uh, let's switch over to football. Not surprised by B.J. Ojolari de- declaring for the draft. Graduates in three years. War number 18 with pride. This is a guy that could have left the program a couple times, didn't, stuck with it. Now he's got an opportunity to play on Sundays. He joins Jay Ward as guys declaring for the draft. Do we expect to have any more of those guys declare for the draft, in your opinion, Jeff? Uh, I would think so. I, I would think there's going to still be a couple more guys. Um, you know, are we? is there still going to be any more big surprises as far as guys entering the transfer portal? There's, that's possible, too. That's possible, too. I, I think we – but I, I would see some, some more guys um, – heading out here uh, soon, I, I would imagine. Um, but uh, m- maybe maybe the biggest names are, are kind of off the board at this point. Um, you know, in particular, uh, the, the Ojolari, as you mentioned, no surprise there. You're looking at a potential second-round pick. Um, and, you know, I think as far as transfer portal goes, you know, Jack Besh was, was certainly a, a, a big surprise uh, to you know, it, it, one of those cases where it was a surprise, and in the sense of how his season went, maybe not so much of a surprise because it, it just didn't seem like there was a fit for him here, and it, he just never connected. Um, well, and part of that, say, I'm glad, uh, uh, probably, Jeff. But I'm, I'm I'm glad you brought up Jack because you know it's someone that Brian Kelly brought to SEC Media Days, which was a surprise, right? Uh, and they bring them in, you know, I think what you see with Jack is a combination of a couple things, right? It's a log jam at wide receiver. That's one. But two is he had some miscues on special teams, maybe lost his confidence a little bit, and then he got banged up a little bit, and then all, all of a sudden you're on the outside looking in when the quarterbacks developed a rapport with other guys. I mean, that's what it kind of feels like to me. Well, and I think it was outside looking in even before that. Remember, he missed a lot of time in, in preseason camp That's right. with uh, shin splits, leg injuries. So he just never got into the flow of things. And then I, I'm sure he took a look at the roster here and saw, oh, man, you know, uh, Kayshawn's coming back. Neighbors is coming back. Brian Thomas is coming back. And it wasn't like this past season LSU did a lot of four wide receiver sets, right? I mean, they – they, were, they relied a lot on the running game, whether it was with running backs or if it was with Jaden Daniels. So there just there just wasn't a fit with him. And yeah, a very frustrating season as well. You know, with the mishandling of the kickoff, uh, I guess there was two. There was right, the kickoff return and a, a punt that he couldn't handle. So just a tough season. But um, it, it's it's sad to see him go you're talking about a legacy player a guy that uh, you could tell really bleeds purple and gold um kind of a spokesman for the team as you mentioned he was at media days um but it's not like uh you know lsu's been at that position i I would say maybe a bigger loss um would be a a desmond little uh, transfer entering a transfer portal because 
They're not that. Uh, they're not that big. Um, you know, they don't have a lot of guys as far as defensive ends. And this is a guy that had the ability to bring some speed off the edge. A guy that uh, Brian Kelly had actually even talked a little bit about as far as someone that had improved a lot. And uh, him heading out, uh, you know, that's that one probably hurts a little bit more when you're taking a look at the uh, at the depth chart, um, you know, compared to uh, Jack Beshley. And that would lead me to my last question for you, Jeff. That explains the aggressiveness that we're seeing by Brian Kelly and his staff offering numerous defensive linemen in the transfer portal, right? I mean, they understand that that is a position of need for them. It was going to be even before they lost a couple of guys into the portal. They're being aggressive. That's the number one priority, it seems like, for LSU this offseason. Well, I think that, and you got to rebuild your defensive secondary again. I mean, because yeah. all these these you know all these guys that they signed last year, um, you know they're 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 heading out. So <laughs> you got to get you got to go out and uh, get some guys again. And that's I don't know. That's got to be. Uh, I mean, they they return a few guys. Uh, I mean, they're going to return a, a Sage Ryan, but um, they, they have to kind of rebuild that thing on the fly as well. So that's. That's going to take some. That's going to take some. Take a while. We've already seen Makai Gardner. He's entering the NFL draft. So um, yeah, that's that's probably going you know, on defensive line and and the secondary. They also got to find some tight ends because right now the only guy they have is Mason Taylor. Really, uh, that's coming back next season with Cole Taylor uh, entering the uh, or yeah, Cole Taylor entering the NFL drafts or not the NFL draft, but the transfer portal. So. It's uh, yeah. There's a lot uh, they have to rebuild. I mean, the, the program still isn't. It doesn't still have, uh, and, and it's going to take a couple of years, I think, a couple more signing classes, maybe this one and next year, before there's really a solid foundation under this thing, and you're not having to really go into the transfer portal and fix things on a fly. Jeff, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy Tiger Rag Radio this week, and we'll talk to you next Monday, bud. All right, Raymond, you have a good week. Hey, just a reminder that the game, that's right, your friends and family over here at the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, wants to stuff your stocking with a $500 Visa gift card. That's right, $500 Visa gift card. It's the Christmas Comes Early sweepstakes presented by Almertar Jewelers. Simply enter in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to score a $500 Visa gift card. Man, that could come in handy for those last-minute Christmas gifts. It's that easy. It's the Christmas Comes Early sweepstakes powered by Almertar Jewelers and the Game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We got to take a timeout. We'll update the poll question of the day and close out hour number two. That's next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Shout out to Ralph Bergeron, who <laughs> tagged me on Twitter. Ray, are you there? Over. I had a lot of that on Saturday. Daddy, where are you at in the yard? Over. Can you see me in the window? Over. 
Are you coming back inside? Over. Do you need something to drink? Over. Where's your walkie-talkie? Over. And when I left it on the ground while I was hanging up some lights? Oh, no. Then that prompted a coming outside. Dad, why don't you have your walkie-talkie on you? Over. (laughs) Poll question of the day. Who will win the NFC South? No one wants to win. We should have gave that an option. I wish there was a fourth option. No one. Right now, 54% of you believe that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will stumble their way into the division title. 24% say the Panthers, they have to win out, but, man, they're playing better. 16% say the Saints, only 6% for them, Dirty Birds. The Dirty Birds. Keep those votes coming. Ralph also commented, NFL will start requiring this warning to be displayed before all NFC South games. Warning for mature audiences only. <laughs> oh, it is, it is, it is awful. It's just so bad. They're just so bad. B Rad says, whoever wins the Bucks Panthers game on New Year's Day, side note, Lincoln Riley's quarterbacks fadding up their stat sheets playing in two conferences that are notorious for god awful defenses. That's true, B Rad, but they put up the numbers, and that's what the Heisman's all about. But also, Lincoln Riley can't figure out how to coach up defense either. Imagine if he had any semblance of a defense. He'd probably have won a playoff game by now. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming as well on the poll question of the day. Hour number two has come to a close. Hour number three, we're going to kick it off with the Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, STM, legendary football coach, Jim Hightower, will join us next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. It'll be first and 10 for LCA from from their own 39-yard line. Johnson, empty backfield, out of the shotgun, calls for the football. Now he's under pressure. He's hit as he throws it, and it's going to be intercepted by Nicholas Beckwith at the 20-yard line. And the St. Thomas Moore Cougars are going to come back and defeat LCA for a state championship here at the Caesars Superdome. Holy cow, this was an awesome game. STM rallies down 48-38 to defeat LCA 52-48 in one of the more dramatic endings to a state championship game that I can remember. Of course, that was Danny Jones on the call. And the man who was on the sidelines leading his team to their fourth state championship victory in their sixth appearance in the title game since he's been the man in charge of the STM Cougars football program, the Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, the legendary Mr. Jim Hightower joins us now. Coach, good morning and congratulations, brother. Oh, good morning! Thank you. Yeah, that was a that was an exciting ball game. I tell you what, uh, not going to see another one like that. I don't think. 
Have you ever been part of something that's had that kind of a crazy ending to it where you guys are down by 10, score a touchdown, recover the onside kick, score the touch, another touchdown, and then get the game-sealing interception? Have you ever been part of something like that? No, I really haven't. Not 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 anything close. Now, I've been on the losing end of some tough bottle, uh, battles, you know. Uh, so I, I feel for the LCA uh uh, team and Trev, you know, I know what that's like. You know, we lost a tough ball game to Carr here on kind of a similar situation. We lost a, a semifinal game to Baker on the last play. We we missed a short, almost extra point field goal at Bastrop uh, in a, a quarterfinal game. You know, so I've I've been on the losing end of a of a tight, hard fought battle before. So it was nice uh, that we were able to make it turn our way. What did you tell your team late in that ball game when you guys were down by ten? What was the message? We didn't really, we didn't really say much. I think all of our kids knew from you know from our core values, you know, that we're just going to keep playing until until the clock says zero, and then we're going to look and see what the score is. So, you know, there really wasn't a lot of uh, you know a lot of preaching going on. Our our kids kind of knew what to do and. You know, we've we've been down this season. We've been down, and you know, our kids just keep playing. That's that's all we can do. You guys score the touchdown, and then you have to go for onside kick because the, uh, much time is left on the clock. How often, coach, do you have your guys and your special teams coaches work on recovering onside kicks in practice? <laughs> we do that every week. We do that every week, you know, it's, and it, it came up. We used our onside kick team twice this year, once at Catholic and then uh, in the Superdome, but we practice it every week. You know, sometimes you, you practice things that you never use in a game, but, you know, you want to be ready for that situation. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that we put as much time and effort into practicing that as we did because the execution was flawless. You know, hats off to Cohen Lejeune, who stepped in and made one play of the ball game, and that was a perfect kick on the uh, onside attempt. And then we did a good job of uh, covering and being in our area and catching the uh, deflected ball. So, it, you know, uh, you'd like to say it was kind of chance, but a lot of preparation preparation went into you know taking advantage of that opportunity let's go back to the start of this game it's a defensive struggle early on you guys are able to build up the 10 nothing lead at the end of the first they respond with the young man Juwan Johnson he throws a touchdown pass but then you guys bounce back again make it double digits again 17 to 7 with 257 left in the half but then they scored again made it 17-14 at the break. Mm -hmm. Did you expect this game to be such a back-and-forth affair, especially since you guys played in Week 10? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, Week 10 showed us that. It was going to be, you know, a competitive battle all the way. And uh, any team that has an athlete like Juwan Johnson, I don't know if there are any very many teams that have an athlete like Juwan Johnson, but anybody that has that knows they've got the potential to score any time they snap the ball. Uh, you know, what a spectacular uh, performance uh, he put on. And really hats off to, to our defense because, you know, we kept we kept working, kept working, kept working, and, and really ended up with uh, three turnovers that were pivotal in, in, the, in, the, in that game. You know, Tyler Collins was responsible for two of them. One of them, an interception, 
when he got off his man to go and intercept the ball. And I'm, I'm telling you, that's the fastest I think I've ever seen anybody move on a football field. When, when he sold out to make that interception, uh, that was a spectacular play. And then he came back and tackled Juwan and stripped the ball for a strip fumble and recovered it uh, later in the second half. And, you know, so those were two big takeaways. And then, of course, Nick's, uh, you know, game ceiling interception at the end. So three three defensive turnovers, even though, you know, we gave up 600-and-something yards, the defense had, had their hand in winning that game for sure. We're talking with Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer and STM legendary football coach Jim Hightower. The Cougars, of course, won the state championship on Friday. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Coach, look, uh, I've spoken to you a lot over the years. Uh, you pride yourself on being able to play defensive football, right? That's something that you that you enjoy, and yeah, it's a kind of a, a badge of honor, so to speak. When you're facing off against a team that has scored as many points as LCA did in the quarterfinals and the semifinals and has a dynamic athlete at quarterback, What's the message to your defense, and how do you scheme against a guy and an offense that that's, is that prolific? Well, again, all you try and do is contain as many of the big plays as you can and make them earn every inch, you know. And uh, Again, it's, it's not like Juwan was a one-man show. He had some pretty good talent around him. And, uh, you know, you just got to keep playing. You got to keep playing and, and – uh, you know, make them earn it and, and, you know, make them work for it. And when they hit their big play, you can go back out and you, you get ready to do it again. So, uh, you know, again, our offense is pretty prolific too. So, uh, uh, you know, I knew that we were going to score points. Uh, and then we just had to see if it was going to be enough. You know, and I, I'm, I can't uh, emphasize enough how much special teams played in that ball game. You know, the final score difference is really, you know, four points. That's that's a field goal. And the one missed PAT that they had, that's the four points difference in the ballgame. And, uh, you know, I thought our kickoff coverage was spectacular. You know, uh, uh, Taylor Deloach has been kicking the ball very deep. And when he, when he doesn't get in the end zone, he's been kicking it to the goal line and he's been getting good height on it. And our, our coverage team has done just a spectacular job of getting down there and uh, holding people in, you know, around the 20 yard line. So whether, whether it goes in the end zone or not, they're usually starting with a pretty long field and, and in, in a, a game against a team like LCA, you know, field position is, uh, was big, especially after we scored our last touchdown, we had the celebration penalty. So we're kicking from 15 yards further back and, uh, you know, Taylor kicked kind of a, uh, hard driving line drive, uh, bouncing kick that uh, they had trouble picking up, and then our coverage team tackled them back, you know, at the 21 yard line. So, you know, there they were. Instead of instead of having the ball at the 50 where you would have anticipated they would have had it, uh, you know, they had 80 yards to go to score. You know, you mentioned the dynamic quarterback. You mentioned your own offense. Uh, you, you got a, a heck of a young man that is uh, under center for you as well coach uh sam altman threw for over 400 yards in the title game on friday six touchdowns just talk a little bit about his progression not only as the man who leads the young man who leads your offense but just what he brings to the table as a leader of this team as well well he's he's definitely a student of the game and 
uh, he's a he's a tough, competitive kid. Uh, I'm just really proud that he's uh, uh, the game he had, and I'm proud that he's uh, you know, at STM Cougar. I'm glad to have him as our as our leader. Um, you know, he didn't have his best game in the first half, especially. I think he missed some keys and, you know, threw a couple of high balls and stuff because I think Sam would be the first one to tell you, that, you know, he wasn't as, as sharp as he could have been. Uh, but, you know, he made the plays when he had to. You know, that, the uh, the last touchdown pass was a perfectly placed ball into very tight coverage, uh, you know. I don't think there's anybody on on the planet that could have put it in a better place than where Sam put it, and uh, you know, so he delivered in the clutch. When you won your first state championship back in 1978 at Catholic uh, High of Point Capee, mm-hmm. did you ever think that you'd be coaching this long? <laughs> you know, I've, I've been doing it one year at a time for a long time. I, I don't think I had any. Uh, no, I I didn't have any aspirations of coaching as long as I have, but uh, you know I love what I'm doing, and I'm I'm in such a good place with so many uh, great assistant coaches and good parents and and great kids to coach. Uh, you know, it makes this job so enjoyable that uh, it's hard to imagine doing something else. You know, you had the early success as a state champion, but then. You come to STM and you have great season after great season, but we're unable to kind of get over the hump until the last 10 years. And the last 10 years have been just an absolute dominant era of STM Cougar football with four state championships during that stretch. What does it mean to you to be able to win titles now later in your career? Do you appreciate it more now than you did maybe early on, Coach? (laughs) Well, that's a very good question, and uh, I don't know. I appreciated that first one pretty much, but uh, you know, yeah, it, 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 I, I guess maybe after that first one, I didn't think it was going to be that hard to get back and do it again, <laughs> and and it is. It's a hard thing to do, you know. And uh, I think we lost six semifinal games uh, before we uh, punched our ticket, uh, and you know, that's all a part of it. You know, you just got to keep competing and. Uh, I think we learned as a coaching staff. I know I learned as a, as a head coach, uh, you know, how to do things with a little different emphasis over the course of the season. Um, and so that you show up, you know, with a little more freshness uh, when playoff time comes. And, you know, I think the way we approach practice and preparation has changed a little bit to, you know, keep that in mind. Um uh, and the game has changed so much, you know, since those early days because it was a, a lot more, uh, you know, run-oriented, physical defense. The rules of the game have changed significantly since then. So, uh, yeah, it's a it's a different ball game, but uh, still, I think, yeah, the 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 knowledge, the preparation, that that kind of changed too. Uh, and you know what? Once you get there, and you've done it. It's a lot easier to get back, so I'll say that. You know, we kind of we we've had people tell us that once you get there, you'll see you're going to make several trips back, and you know they were they were right because it's it is easier to return than it is to get there that first time. I think. You know, I hear people all the time say that kids are different, but when I talk to older coaches, typically they tell me the kids aren't different, parents are different, or we're different, <laughs> society's different. For someone who's been coaching for nearly 50 years, are kids really all that different? 
Well, I, I guess it depends on how you how you mean that because our players now are so much more skilled than the players were, you know, 15, 20 years ago. You know, I, and I think that uh, coaching has a lot to do with it. I think the coaches are a lot better, and I think they're getting coached at younger ages now. Uh, and, you know, I think they watch ESPN and they watch the highlights and they see these, these pros making spectacular plays and, and they think that's what they're supposed to do, so they go out and do it, you know. So I'd say the skill level of, of the high school athletes is, is increased immensely. But as far as, uh, you know, uh, still being kids and still wanting to be a part of something and, uh, you know, the, the work ethic and stuff. I think that's very similar to, you know, what we had, uh, you know, 30 years ago when we started here. Coach, we'll wrap it up with this. What do you love most about coaching? Well, there's no place like a sideline on Friday night or, you know, on, on uh, last Friday it was afternoon, but, uh, you know, that's still thrilling for me and, and seeing the kids come together and how, how hard they're willing to work to to uh, contribute to the good of the team, uh, there's something special about that. Uh, having the camaraderie of our coaching staff. I mean, we've got coaches that I've worked with for 35 years, some uh, former players that are have been coaching with us for 20-plus years. It's, you know, that camaraderie of the coaching staff and, uh, and being able to represent a, such a – first quality institution of St. Thomas More. St. Thomas More is a special place, not not just a special football school. It's a special educational institution. And, uh, you know, I think I think the special thing about St. Thomas More is they appreciate excellence and effort in every endeavor. You know, so when we go to a speech tournament or uh, we put on a play or – uh, you know, our campus ministry program is uh, being involved in uh, retreats and stuff. They, they're going to do it the St. Thomas More way, which is with excellence. And uh, I'm just proud to be able to represent this institution on the football field. Coach, you represent the school and the team in the area extremely well. You always have. Appreciate your time. Thank you for being gracious with us. And uh, once again, congratulations on the state championship victory, Coach. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate it. That's STM legendary head football coach Jim Hightower. The man won his first state championship in 1978 at Catholic High at Point Capi. Came to STM, led them to unprecedented success, but they'd always trip up in the semifinals. They finally break through. He's now taken them to six state title games, winning four of them already in the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame. Man keeps going and still finds a way to connect with the kids and still gets them motivated. And you heard him when I asked him, what did you tell your team? And what did he say? I didn't tell him anything. They knew like they knew what had to be done. That's a sign of a very well-run program. we got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, oof, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night. Me feel English. 
possible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. NBA fans, DraftKings Sportsbook is my go-to when betting on the NBA this holiday season. Oh, you know what I like to do? I like to take advantage of those player prop bets. I mean, right now, Zion Williamson is on an absolute tear. Guy's scoring 35 points a night. Next time up, I'm probably going to lay a little cash down to see if he can eclipse 30 points yet again. Or what about Valachunas? He's been a double-double machine as well. Man, you can do all of that with the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving Louisiana NBA fans a special gift. For a limited time, you can get a no-sweat bet on every New Orleans Pelicans game this December. Check this out. This month, everyone can earn a no-sweat bet with DraftKings Sportsbook. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt in under the Promos tab, and place an eligible bet of your choice on a New Orleans game. If it doesn't hit, man, you'll get your money back in a free bet. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. New customers can sign up with promo code 1037 game. That's 1037 game and get a no sweat bet on every New Orleans Pelicans game this December. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app and opt in today to receive this limited time offer only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. You must be 21 years of age to play, physically present in Louisiana. Select parishes only. Max reward limits apply. One free bet issued based on the amount of initial losing bet. Eligibility restrictions do apply. See terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms. Licensee partner, Golden Nugget Lake Charles. And if you have a gambling problem or know someone that does, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Pelicans big winners last night defeating the Phoenix Suns for the second time in three days. And the Pels are in full command of the Western Conference standings. They sit atop as we get closer and closer to Christmas. And for a franchise that notoriously begins slow, always digs themselves into a hole to start off as strong as they have in a wide-open Western Conference this year, man, it is promising of what this team can do. And here's the other thing. They've won seven straight, and they've done so without all-star Brandon Ingram. They've done so without their defensive specialist Herb Jones. They've both been out. Zion has stepped up. We're seeing him transform from a young boy, young man, if you will, in the league, all smiles, just happy to be here, to a guy that looks like he's got that dog in him. He's growing up into a man, and he's starting to take over games night in, night out. He looks fit. He looks focused. And with all the other pieces they have there, all those other guys that understand their role, like Najee Marshall, okay, coming off the bench, Trey Murphy III is a three-point specialist, and the rest, they play hard for Willie Green. This is going to be a dangerous team. Obviously, they have to stay healthy. We understand that. But this is a team that could do some absolute damage in the postseason. And they have a great young core. Poll question of the day. 
is not about the Pelicans. It's about the NFC South, the absolute dumpster fire that that has been. Tampa Bay looks like a team that has no desire to play in the postseason. They look lost. They look immensely disinterested and have for the better part of two months. They get stomped by the San Francisco 49ers who played their third string quarterback and he had no problems carving up Tampa's defense. Bucks lose. They're six and seven. Carolina wins. They beat Seattle. Weirdly enough, the Seahawks once again 0-4 against the NFC South this year. What? This is a team that's vying for the playoffs, yet they went winless against the worst division in the NFL this year. If Carolina, who fired their head coach, multiple coordinators, multiple assistant coaches, traded their best player, traded their top wide receiver, and cut their starting quarterback. If Carolina wins out their final four games, they win the division and they will host a playoff game. That is where we're at this year with the NFC South. We asked you, who will win the NFC South? 56% of you still believe Tampa Bay will stumble and back its way into a playoff spot by winning the division. 23% believe the Carolina Panthers can. 16% say the Saints. 5% of you say the Dirty Birds, the Atlanta Falcons. It's going to be wildly entertaining. Wildly entertaining. Is it going to be good football? No. Is it going to be painful to watch? Yes. Will it be interesting to see who of the four dumpster fire teams actually wins the division? Yeah, it's going to be wildly entertaining. Doug on Twitter says, nobody in the South is going to be on the wild card, moving my support for Joe and them who days. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. We got to take a time out when we return here on RP3 and Company. Be time for the Big Easy Blitz. It's hate week with the Dirty Birds. Ralph Malbra from the Saints Happy Hour podcast will join us to break it all down. That's coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Houdan is ready for Saints talk. They give to Camara, breaks through, spins at the two, into the end zone, touchdown! Time to talk Saints with the Big Easy Blitz here on RP3 and Company. Have we been looking at this completely the wrong way? Saints fans out there, you're disgusted. You're angry. You're upset. You feel like your fall, your holidays are ruined because the Saints can't get their act together. But maybe we should take a different approach. Maybe all of the black and gold, all the hoodats, should just sit back and enjoy the fact that the NFC South is burning itself down and the Carolina Panthers of all teams could possibly win the division after firing their coach and the majority of their staff and cutting their starting quarterback and trading their best two players. (laughs) I mean, maybe we need to look at this differently. I feel like our last guest today is already has taken on that approach. You know him from the Saints Happy Hour podcast. Ralph Mulrow joins us now. Ralph, good morning, bud. Is this the way we need to start approaching the Saints? I think you're on the right track, Raymond, but here's here's my thing, and people were getting mad at me on Twitter, and I said I said this because people thought I had this like 
delusional optimism, and I do because I'm a sick individual. And I was like, listen, <laughs> I don't think I don't think the Saints are out of it in the NFC South. And he, I'm not saying they're, they're going to win the South because they're not. They're not capable. They're not capable of winning four in a row. They're not even capable of winning three out of three in a row. They're probably not even capable of winning two going two and two maybe but i really and truly believe this the saints 2022 season raymond it's nothing but pain james winston told us he said after the first game he's like where's the pain the pain's everywhere and i truly believe that like we may think we're done with the saints and like we're done we're done with them they lost to tampa they ripped our gut our guts are on the floor it's over i don't care anymore i'm 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 separated myself from it but i really believe the 2022 saints we are like al patino and godfather three we think we're out. They're going to pull us back in one more time, Raymond. I'm telling you, there is one more horrible moment of pain left to go. And I'm going to tell you how I think it's going to happen. All right. I think they're going to. I think they're going to stomp Atlanta. I think they're just going to be Ritter, his rookie quarterback. They're going to stomp Atlanta. Tampa. The, Tampa is in a free fall. Like they, they might have beat the Saints and they might have beat Cleveland, but they are a horrible football team. And they're really like they're six and seven, but they're really like a three-win team masquerading at six and seven i'm telling you heading into the eagles game in two in three weeks everybody in the nfc south is going to be six and nine and we're going to be like oh my god i can't believe this we're gonna we have a shot because i believe raymond in my heart the final death nail the final shot of pain for the 2022 saints that must be delivered to the fan base it has to come from the eagles the cd deuce trade they have the Saints pick for 2023. The Eagles must deliver us the last shot of pain. And in order to have maximum sports pain, Raymond, you know this, we have to have hope. So I think the Saints, like, they're going to give us one more shot of hope. And it, it could be that or it could be they, they blow another game to Atlanta like they did against Tampa. But I'm telling you, the Saints, are, the 2022 Saints, they're not done with us. They're going to make us suffer more. I, this I am certain of. Or I'll give you even a worse scenario. <laughs> shall I? Shall, shall I? They, yeah, they, they, they stomp Atlanta. They actually beat Philly because Philly's already going to have an eye for getting the buy and everything like that. And it is going to come down to winning the game versus the Kitty Cats inside the Dome. Yeah very last game of the season and they're going to mess around and lose to Carolina on the Here, last game. Here's my favorite scenario of the NFC South and I don't think it's possible because it would it would just take it would take a collapse from Tampa that would be one of the most maybe one of the most epic collapses in NFL history because they have Tom Brady. But the funnest scenario and uh, Raymond for the NFC South everybody's 6 and 10 going into the final weekend. And you got Tampa and Atlanta and the Saints and Carolina. Everyone's alive. And it's just sheer madness of the entire world is like, there is going to be a 7-10 and 10 division champion in the NFL. And they're going to host a playoff game. <laughs> the rest of the world would be so infuriated, Raymond. But I can tell you, if the Saints won a division at 7-10, and 10, it would mean more to me, more to me than the Super Bowl. It really would. I would buy the T-shirt. I would frame the paper. It would be amazing. Like that's my dream. Like not even, even if they don't get it. Like just to have the NFC South, because truly this division. Like don't we deserve everybody being six and ten and having a shot to win this sad, sad division in Week 18? Like that's what the that's what the universe wants. I think deep in its soul. <laughs> 
what do you make of what's happening with the Panthers? I mean, is it just simply a change of coaching philosophy and these guys are just playing hard? Like, I just – like, they're not beating great teams and Seattle's 0-4 against the NFC South. Try to explain that. But uh, what do you make of Carolina and what they've done? They went to tank mode and yet they're more competitive now than they were before. Well, I think the thing is they did go to tank mode, but here's the thing with Steve Wilson, and I give him a lot of credit because remember he was coach for Arizona for like a year, yeah. and they were like, "Dude, you are horrible. We're getting you up out of here." And I really think, like, even though he was the interim, and they're like, "If he's good enough, we'll give him a chance to maybe interview." That guy was like, "This is my shot," and he. <laughs> did a bunch of stuff on the coaching staff. He's like, I'm firing the defensive coordinator. I'm firing another guy. Like, this might be it for me. So I'm just going to do it how I want to do it. And the thing is, they play really freaking hard. The Saints play really hard, too, by the way, for Dennis Allen. But the thing that Carolina does is they just don't lose games. Now, yeah, they had the, the, the mess up against Atlanta. But most of the time, like when they get into these close games, they don't self-destruct. I know they lost a close one to Baltimore, but most of these close games, they win because they just don't shoot themselves in the foot. They kind of run the ball. They hide Sam Darnold, their quarterback. And Sam Darnold, I mean, he's not any good. But Baker Mayfield, like, wasn't NFL quality, right? And P.J. Walker really mostly wasn't NFL quality. But that's the thing. Like, if the Saints would just not shoot themselves in the foot, they'd be 6-7 and seven or 5-8, and eight too. But that's what Carolina does. And I'm going to tell you, Damon, like, you look at Carolina, I think there's a favorite to win the South because I think they're going to split with either Pittsburgh or Detroit, and that'll get them to six. And they are going to crush Tampa because they are the worst possible matchup for Tampa because Tampa cannot score. And Carolina, their defense is really good, and they can bully the Tampa, and they'll run the ball. And they did it. They beat Tampa 21 to three before, so that'll get them. To, that'll get them to seven wins, right? And then they'll have the Saints in week 18. That can get them to I really think if you told me to bet on a team to win the South, I think I would bet on Carolina um, to do it, which is, which is crazy. But I think they're going to win the South, and I think they're going to keep Wilkes as the coach uh, going into 2023, which is just, would just be one of the most bonkers stories that we've ever seen. Talking with Ralph Marbo of the Saints Half Hour Podcast. He joins us here for the Big Easy Blitz on RP3 and Company. Uh, now that we're to this point of the season, th- there's so many things to dissect. There's so many things to complain about. There's so many things to point out <laughs> on why this team is is where it's at. What's the thing that has surprised you the most about what you've seen from the Saints overall of the season? The thing that surprised me the most, and – it's just one of those things, and, and, and we've, we talked about it on our podcast. We were kicking ourselves because we, we do the podcast every day, right? So we had a whole off season, and we should have dove into Dennis Allen's time in Oakland. We should. I told Aunt, my aunt, my co-host Andrew Dude, I said, Andrew, we should have called somebody from the Raiders, a blogger, a reporter, and dove into it to see Dennis Allen's time with the Raiders. But what we did, we just excused it. We're just like, it's the Raiders, man. He had Terrell Pryor and a, the corpse of Carson Palmer, and, and it, 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 he had no chance. But the stunning thing to me is just the lack of attention to detail that they have on the team. And it comes down to, like, little things in games where, like, the play that they run against Tampa, the, the slant to Callaway, right, and it's a terrible play call. But the thing that made it even worse is 
usually the Saints under Sean Payton, they would run that to the opposite side because when you're a quarterback, throwing to your left on the slant is easier than throwing it to the right. And it's just these little bitty details that like matter so much in the NFL game. And Dennis Allen, like, they just don't do them. And it's just it's one of those things where you don't realize it until you start seeing it, right? It's like, oh, that, oh, and a false start, oh, hold it, oh, they can't get off the field, oh, it's that. Like that to me is the biggest surprise. It's so jarring because Sean Payton, you know it, he was a maniac. Right? He was on everything, everybody, all the time. And it's just, it's just kind of sloppy. They still play hard. They still have good game plans for the most part, I think. But they're just not detailed enough and, and, and sharp enough. And that's the thing that surprised me the most. I, I knew it would be different under Dennis Allen. I didn't think it would be gone completely. And there's things that stand out to me, too, with the way they execute the offense. And they do a pretty Uh good job of moving in between the 20s. They struggle in the red zone. But the other thing is how they utilize Alvin Kamara and why Mm -hmm. they're having him run between the tackles and have Mark Ingram run to the outside when their strengths are the opposites Mm -hmm. of that. It's just – and like you said, having him throw on the other side. Uh, Under Sean Payton, that play would have been on the other side. It's just – Pete Carmichael's been part of the staff forever. He knows mm-hmm. Sean Payton's offense, yet when I see them play, I don't I see a lack of execution or a lack of understanding or just bad play calls at bad times. Yeah, you know, I joked last night on Twitter watching the Chargers play. I said Joe Lombardi and Pete Carmichael are having the worst possible ever Sean Payton karaoke offense competition in history. Like they know that they, they know the notes, they can sing them, but it just ain't the same, right? And it's it that's the, the most amazing thing with this offense. And the thing is, with the Saints on offense, is they really, of all the things they did, betting on Mark Ingram to be the tandem with Kamara was just terrible. They let Latavius Murray go. Um, it didn't seem like a big thing at the time, but Raymond, when you're dealing with the worst division in NFL history, like I think Latavius Murray, like he probably would have made a difference. Like if they would have had him, like he probably gets that first down because if they have Latavius Murray on the roster, right, when Mark Ingram gets hurt there, they're just like put, put Latavius Murray in, it's fine. But because they have so such a drop off at running back they put Ingram back in the game and like when you're dealing with fine margins and like eight wins can win you a division title like not having Murray like it mattered and again it's just these details that they don't they just simply do not get them right and it happened it's happened over and over and over and oh by the way like Let's not forget, like, they tried to give away that first game in Atlanta yeah. with swapping details at the end. Like, this, this is not something that just, like, cropped up and, like, bit them lately. Like, this is the attention to detail. It started week one, and it basically never stopped. It, it, they're sloppy. They're not prepared. They, they, they do play hard, but you're right. There's a lack of execution, a lack of understanding from the coaching throughout the players as well. 
and they're they're just a mess. They're, they're just they're an, an absolute mess when you see them play. They are shell themselves. I do want to ask you this because typically they would let guys walk, and it wouldn't really hurt them, right? Mm-hmm. But Chauncey Gardner Johnson trade—they mm-hmm. got what a bag of you know undersized bold crawfish in return for him. Uh, he's a monster with the interceptions this year. He has more interceptions by himself than the Saints do. Marcus Williams, they didn't want to pay all that money for him, and he's been an absolute stud for Baltimore. Uh, mm-hmm. They didn't bring back Latavius Murray like they should have, and that's you know he hasn't really done much of anything. But still, they've kind of missed out here on some of these moves, right? Like some of these decisions they've made to save money or put money elsewhere. It's 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 kind of noticeable this season. It started last season, but it's definitely noticeable this year. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's definitely noticeable. I, the, the thing to me with Chauncey Gardner Johnson is that is one of the things. If you want to, if you're in the Dennis Allen's got to go, we got to put him in a cannon cannon and launch him into the Mississippi River. Like Chauncey Gardner Johnson, like that to me is at the top of the list. I know a lot of people blame Loomis, but you know this. Like Loomis believes in servant leadership. He's like, I'm here to serve the head coach and the head coach is the voice of the organization and I do what the head coach wants within reason. So knowing that he said that on multiple occasions, I 100% believe that Dennis Allen went into Mickey Loomis' office and said, get this dude off my team. Whereas if Dennis Allen says, listen, he goes into the office and he says, listen, Mickey, he's a crazy person. But if you pay him, he won't be a crazy person. And my secondary has to have him. The Saints would have got that done. Like, that was a Dennis Allen decision to get Chauncey Gardner off the team. And the other things that they've done, it's tough. I mean, the thing with safety, I don't necessarily think Marcus Williams leaving would have been such a detriment, except Honey Badger's a shell of himself. Marcus May has been kind of meh, right? So it all sort of goes it all sort of goes bad for them. Um, the thing is with Saints Raymond is it's crazy it's crazy to me that they looked at this roster and they decided like on especially a defensive tackle and backup running back. They were like, We're good. And like I think that's one of the the on-field stuff, like besides the details, the thing that's really been the most, I think, shocking and disappointing, and I bet Dennis Allen would tell you this if you got a couple of drinks in it, the Saints defensive line has had multiple games where all they had to do was close out the game. I mean, you can blame the Tampa game on a bunch of different things. Like every, It was like a perfect storm of poop. Like You had nine things go wrong, and if you change even one of them, the Saints win the game, right? But to me... That game really boiled down to its essence is you were up 16-3. to You punted the ball to Tampa. Even if the analytics nerds hated the decision, right? Tampa had first and 10 from their nine-yard line, down 16-3 to with five minutes to go. And your defensive line that everybody thought was really good and at the end of last year was the engine that drove your defense and got you to 9-8, and it's failed you miserably in back-to-back drives on the interior market. Davenport, Cam Jordan, like it just failed them. It failed them against Cincinnati in another game they could have closed out. Like that to me has been maybe the biggest 
surprised because I just felt like the defensive line, I, I was worried that it might decline a little, but it's falling off a cliff, and they have they have major, major fixing to do there, and I don't know how you deal with it without picks. Ralph, appreciate your time as always, brother. Keep up the tremendous work that you guys are doing with the Saints Happy Hour podcast, man, and enjoy your week. It's hate week with the Falcons, <laughs> bud. Try to enjoy it. I will. Saints are going to win. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hey, just a reminder that the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wants to hook you up with tickets to a special sneak peek of the new Whitney Houston biopic, I Want to Dance with Somebody. That's right. You can see it before anyone else by simply texting Whitney to 68683. That's Whitney to 68683 to score a pair of tickets for a special sneak peek December 20th at the Celebrity Theater in Broussard. It's the I Want to Dance with Somebody sneak preview brought to you by A. Brian's Jewelers and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We got to take a timeout, wrap up today's show next, and get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes. That's all coming up right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Uh, Mac Jones and the New England Patriots travel out to the desert to take on Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals tonight. Tune into the game tonight to find out who wins. Pre-game begins at 7 and kickoff set for 7:15. That's Monday Night Football right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Take a moment to thank our guest for helping us kick off the week the right way. Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio. Jim Hightower, Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer and STM coaching legend. And, of course, Ralph Malbro from the Saints Happy Hour podcast. Our poll question of the day was, who will win the NFC South? A division no one wants to win, apparently. 55% of you say the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 23% say the Carolina Panthers. 16% say the New Orleans Saints, and 6% of you say the Dirty Birds, those Atlanta Falcons. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. Thanks to all who commented as well. We appreciate you. That's going to do it for today's show. For the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, I'm Raymond Parch III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros.